0: I want to welcome everyone to the People's School for marxist lenin Studies. Two more days and the year is over and 2021 is starting.
1: The reading tonight is How to Be a Good Communist by Liu Shaoqi from 1939.
0: Lu Shaoqi was one of the organizers that led the communist rebellion against the Japanese invaders and the Chiang Kai-shek government in late 1930s and through the 40s. And he was one of the leaders of the Communist Party in China.
1: That's correct, comrade. And I'll give a little more background information on comrade Liu Shaoqi. He was one of the leaders of the 8th Route Army during the Long March. And afterwards, he served in a number of high-ranking positions within the Communist Party of China. He was in part responsible for some of the excesses of the Great Leap Forward which he personally admitted to, and then afterwards he, Zhao Enlai, and Peng Dehuai would go on to take over the running of the national economy, somewhat putting Mao Zedong off to the wayside, which would in later years lead to a power struggle within the Communist Party of China in which, unfortunately, Kamad Lushachi was purged, publicly humiliated, publicly flogged, imprisoned, and eventually, because of the poor care he received, he died from diabetes. It was very unfortunate, and what we'll see from reading this text that the comrade definitely knew what he was talking about. He was very well-educated, he was very well-versed in Marxism-Leninism. And so I'll begin reading at the top of page one. Comrades, the question I shall discuss is how members of the Communist Party should cultivate and temper themselves. It may not be unprofitable to the building and consolidation of the party to take up this question at the present time. And we'll begin chapter one on the same page. Why communists must undertake self-cultivation? Why must communists undertake to cultivate themselves? In order to live, man must wage a struggle against nature and make use of nature to produce material values. We can see from this that this is relatively simple understanding, a simple way of explaining dialectics. This is quite similar to the way that Kim Il-sung speaks, talking about Man in nature. At all times, under all conditions, his production of material things is social in character. It follows that when men engage in production, at any stage of social development, they have to enter into certain relations of production with one another. In their ceaseless struggle against nature, men ceaselessly change nature and simultaneously change themselves in the mutual relations. Men themselves, their social relations, their forms of social organization and their consciousness change and progress continuously in the long struggle which as social beings they wage against nature. In ancient times, man's model of life, social organization and consciousness were all different from what they are today. And in the future, they will again be different. This is, again, explaining dialectics. Comrade Stalin put it similarly in Anarchism or Socialism, in which he stated that all things are constantly moving, all things are constantly changing. Mankind and human society are in the process of historical development. When human society reached a certain historical stage, classes and class struggle emerged. Every member of a class society exists as a member of a given class and lives in a given condition of class struggle. Man's social being determines his consciousness. In class society, the ideology of the members of each class reflects a different class position and different class interests. The class struggle constantly goes on among these classes with their different positions, interests, and ideologies. Thus, it is not only in the struggle against nature, but in the struggle of social classes, that men change nature, change society, and at the same time, change themselves. Marx and Engels said, both for the production on a mass scale of this communist consciousness, and for the success of the cause itself, the alteration of men on a mass scale is necessary an alteration which can only take place in a practical movement, a revolution. This revolution is necessary, therefore, not only because the ruling class cannot be overthrown in any other way, but also because the class overthrowing it can only in a revolution succeed in ridding itself of all the muck of ages and become fitted to found society anew. Then here, I was going to open up the questions.
0: What hit me right away is this is straight Marxism. Straight Marxism. And I'm comparing that to what Mao wrote later on. And I got a completely different analysis. I see Lu Xiaoxi as being a real, the way he talks, a real Marxist analysis. I did not get that from Mao Zedong at all. I don't know if anybody else got that. For Mao Zedong, I got flowery philosophy of life, nothing to do with the class struggle. And if anybody could correct me, I'm glad to be corrected. But in the quotations from Chairman Mao, which came out in the 60s, I remember reading it, and I remember saying, where's the Marxism in it? And after this, I see that, so I don't want to belittle the point. But especially on liberalism, I was very disappointed in that document as written by a Marxist-Leninist. But anybody else could answer what I said.
2: Harkens back to Mao's anarchist days because he did start out being heavily influenced by the anarchists in China.
1: That's true. He was very heavily influenced by the anarchists. You can definitely see that in a lot of his earlier works. One thing I would like to add, though, is Mao's Little Red Book is definitely not the best source on Mao Zedong thought. It's actually a terrible book. It really is. It's not full of theory. It's just a book of quotations that people were supposed to live by. It was, ironically, Mao wrote a book called Against Book Worship and Mao's Little Red Book was book worship. I've read quite a bit of Mao's works and there's a lot of it where you will see Marxism-Leninism applied properly. But the problem is, what most people see is just the Little Red Book, because that's the most popular book. I think next to the Bible, it's probably the most printed book ever. Thank you.
3: In terms of Comrade Angelo's statements, definitely agree this work specifically is pure Marxism, and I think that is a good point. It really gets to the title of the work, because you can't be a good communist if you don't have a complete understanding of dialectics and class struggle. But specifically pertaining to the question about Mao Zedong, I think his best and most dialectical works can be found in two works specifically, on contradiction and on practice which he wrote in the midst of the Chinese Civil War. And that's where he was really kind of applying these ideas after he had moved out his quote-unquote anarchist phase. Yeah, you're definitely right. If we're going to look to the Little Red Book as the pure example of Mao Zedong thought, then we're going to have an incomplete understanding of Mao Zedong thought. So we do have to
2: delve a little deeper there. Thank you.
4: As a former person who was into Maoism as a Marxist-Leninist, and as who saw it as the continuation of Marxism-Leninism, I would say that as a person who's also looked at the history of Maoism and Mao himself, Mao, unfortunately, I would say what Angelo would call was an intellectual. He emphasized the peasantry to an extent where he claimed that we cannot do Marxism-Leninism the way the USSR did, because they were reliant on the proletariat in the industrial cities. Well, you have to remember that Stalin, as a revolutionary, he was with the peasantry in Tbilisi and Georgia. And he didn't emphasize it, but he clearly showed it in his work, mobilizing, collectivizing, and eliminating the kulaks and etc. And you see that in Maoist groups and Maoist movements in the world, like groups in Angola with Jonas Savimbi's UNITA versus the Marxist-Leninist MPLA, the Maoist-Afghan Liberation Organization with the People's Democratic Afghanistan and You see how Maoist groups in some ways are flagrantly hostile to Marxist-Leninist groups. is because, like Mao, they assume that they are the authentic interpretation of Marxism-Leninism. But in actuality, they're just Marxist-Leninists who have a sophistication for rural proletarians. And when you try to refute that, Maoists will accuse you of being a Khrushchevite. But in reality, you could see how the East Turkestan People's Republic, which was slightly more industrialized than the rest of China, how they were crushed by Mao, it was basically because they followed a more consistent line of Marxism compared to Maoism. And I think that that's really brushed off upon. A lot of people don't really research about the East Turkestan People's Republic. And that's all I have to say. Thank you.
1: You were exactly right with everything that you said. That was very good. To address what I had read by Marx and Engels there, they talk about the necessity of the revolution. And I just wanted to take that and point to the eighth point of unity of the party that states that historically revolution is the only means to the goal of establishing the dictatorship of the proletariat and the scientific socialist society based on the science of Marxism-Leninism. We can see here that what Marx and Engels wrote and what our party follows is directly in line with that. So what Lushao Qi is saying, what Marx and Engels wrote, and what our party follows are all exactly the same.
2: Is this more of almost like a mastering Bolshevism type of sense, making sure that we focus on mastering our understanding of dialectics so that way we can better test it and have a better understanding of how and why revolution is necessary?
5: This book specifically, the reading we just read, is very much a very elementary and introductory understanding of dialectics. And the reason the Marx and Engels quote was used is because it's very straightforward and it's not necessarily convoluted. And so when he talks about self-cultivation, he is talking in a specific way about Marxism-Leninism and less in a philosophical or holistic way, even though part of it can be interpreted like that. This is much more in terms of theoretical grounding and putting yourself as an individual within the collective. Does that answer your question?
2: Yes, that does. The biggest thing I was trying to figure out was how the cultivating, how literally they meant that, and where the individual begins and where the revolution as a whole ends.
5: The cultivation is very much an ideological one, and it's very much understanding your place within the communist movement as a
6: Marxist-Leninist. So this pamphlet was written in '39. Mm-hmm. The conditions that this pamphlet was written under, it was before the revolution had succeeded, the People's Republic of China had been founded, while Stalin's pamphlet on mastering Bolshevism was written under the conditions of socialist construction. So those things need to be borne in mind, although they do speak on very similar aspects of how to be a proficient communist in the party.
1: And now, continuing back on page two, that is to say, the proletariat must consciously go through Long periods of social revolutionary struggle and, in such struggles, change society and change itself. Itself meaning the revolutionary, the proletariat. We should therefore see ourselves as in need of change and capable of being changed. We should not look upon ourselves as immutable, perfect, and sacrosanct as persons who need not and cannot be changed. When we pose the task of remolding ourselves in social struggle, we are not demeaning ourselves. The objective laws of social development demand it. Unless we do so, we cannot make progress, nor fulfill the task of changing society. We communists are the most advanced revolutionaries in modern history. And I just want to point out, by communists, Liu Shaoqi, like Lenin, like Stalin, like us, means Marxist-Leninists. Today, the changing of society and the world rests upon us, and we are the driving force in this change. It is by unremitting struggle against counter-revolutionaries and reformists that we communists can change society and the world, and at the same time change ourselves. When we say that communists must remold themselves by waging struggle in every sphere against the counter-revolutionaries and reformists. We mean that it is through such struggles that they must seek to make progress and must enhance their revolutionary quality and ability. An immature revolutionary has to go through a long process of revolutionary tempering and self-cultivation, a long process of remolding before he can become a mature and seasoned revolutionary who can grasp and skillfully apply the laws of revolution. For in the first place, a comparatively immature revolutionary, born and bred in the old society, carries with him remnants of the various ideologies of that society, including its prejudices, habits, and traditions. And the second, he has not been through a long period of revolutionary activity. Therefore, he does not yet have a really thorough understanding of the enemy, of ourselves, or of the laws of social development and revolutionary struggle in order to change the state of affairs. Besides learning from past revolutionary experiences, the practice of our predecessors, he must himself participate in conscious temporary revolutionary practice and in this revolutionary practice and the struggle against all kinds of counter revolutionaries and reformists, he must bring his conscious activity into full play and work hard at study and self cultivation. So what Comrade Luce is saying here is when you come into the communist party, and I know we have some new members here tonight, we've got quite a few candidates here. Many of you have come into this party Fairly well-developed, but most of you have not been in a communist party before. So you don't have any revolutionary struggle behind you. You have not engaged in any party activity. So you don't know yet what it means to be cadre. That's why you're candidate. That's why it's mandatory for you to take these classes. That's why we're reading this book, so that hopefully we can explain and help you understand, as the book says, how to be a good communist. Only so he can gradually acquire deeper experiences and knowledge of the laws of social development and revolutionary struggle, require a really thorough understanding of the enemy and ourselves, discover and correct his wrong ideas, habits, and prejudices, and thus raise the level of his political consciousness and improve his revolutionary methods, Hence, in order to remold himself and raise his own level, a revolutionary must take part in revolutionary practice from which he must on no account isolate himself. He cannot do so, moreover, without subjective effort, without self-cultivation and study in the course of practice. Otherwise, it will still be impossible for him to make progress." and. And Lu Xiaoqi, talking about practice here, he is directly referencing on practice by Mao Zedong. And with that, we'll stop for questions.
6: In this context, when Lu Xiaoqi is talking about like revolutionary
7: practice and stuff that the new communists have to go through, he's mostly talking about organizing and stuff like that. At least that's my understanding. Is that correct? Or is there something I'm missing?
1: When this was written in 1939, the Chinese were waging a struggle against the Japanese. So they were waging revolutionary struggle at the time, actual revolutionary struggle. However, what Liu Shaqi is also talking about is indeed talking about party building, organizing, that sort of stuff, regular party work. Building the revolution isn't just going out in the street. It's not just going out and protesting. It's much more than that. Does that answer your question, comrade?
7: Yeah, that was perfect. Thank you, comrade.
8: The part of where a person will carry over still some of the previous ideologies such as, in this case, liberalism or conservatism, I just wanted to point out from Marx's book, Critique of the Gopher Program, that while it doesn't have to specifically be about the organization of the party itself, I absolutely find that we must actively encourage and not dismiss people for not holding an ideal version of what a new member should be in terms of ideology and experience. That's all.
1: That's absolutely correct, comrade. Like I said uh, when I was doing the reading, we're here to teach, we're here to educate. As Lu T also said, nobody's perfect. We don't expect anybody to be perfect. We don't expect anybody to come into the party fully developed. Nobody's going to do that. We're all learning all the time. So, of course, that's absolutely correct.
9: I was very interested in the acquire a really thorough understanding of the enemy and the people, discovers wrong ideas and all that. I think that is sometimes truly overlooked, like the other comrade that mentioned the carryover. We really need to not isolate the enemy. The enemy is us, like Pogo says. (laughs) We have carryover. We live in an environment That is the enemy, and we really need to understand, I call it, how to survive or live under fascism. And that's uh, tongue-in-cheek. But we really need to have that understanding under our belts also. that's all I wanted to say.
1: That's true. Probably one of the biggest issues in terms of contradictions that exists within every communist in the United States is individualism. It's something we're constantly battling with all communists that we meet in the United States, is having to deal with the issue of individualism. And it's an issue of Western society. And it's not just the United States. it's All of Western society has to deal with the issue of individualism. It's just extremely present in the United States.
10: In the reading, I feel like, Lushab Chi has a really
3: solid understanding of a lot of what Mao writes in on practice, where you cannot merely learn from book study, but you also learn through the class struggle. But something I wanted to ask is, how do we apply this during a politically quiet period, like we're going now through the pandemic and after mostly a lot of the momentum of the uprisings has ended? So I wanted to know how we could apply this to our context.
0: Okay. I want to give you all a quote from one of my personal heroes, Gus Hall, H-A-L-L, who was the General Secretary of the Communist Party USA when I was in that party. And he was the General Secretary of that party for 50 years. He was one of three people that built the Steelworkers Union, the United Steel Workers Union, he and two others built. He also went to prison along with ten other people in the fifties for six or seven years because under the act called Smith S M I T H you should write all this down, Smith Act, which was what we call a thought act. So as a leader of the Communist Party USA and as a Marxist Leninist and pro Soviet, he was sent to prison Because he believed in revolution. Not because he tried to conspire to have one, but because he believed in it. So that's why it's called the Smith Act. It's called the Thought Act. But I want to give you a quote that he gave me, which I never forgot. He took what Marx and what Lusau C. was saying, and he put it in the vernacular that anybody every day could understand. And here's what he said. We are all born and come into the party with bourgeois Baggage. Baggage. Bourgeois baggage. We cannot help it. Sears said this also. We come into the party with that. And so therefore, everything we do, all those years that we were conditioned with bourgeois baggage, everything we do inside the party has to be looked at with that. When we come into a communist party, we are wannabes. A wannabe is somebody who has an intention of being a communist, but they're not communists yet. And so, therefore, what Lu C. said was said by Gus Hall, who's no longer living. He passed on. So, this is an old Marxist view. Thank you.
2: In regards to the counter-revolutionaries, I can think of examples from ourselves, but how about when this was written at the time? I know, obviously, the nationalists led by Chiang Kai-shek would probably honor that, but is there any other groups?
1: Yeah, to some degree, they were still dealing with the warlords here and there.
11: I think one of the problems we are having in understanding the application of Marxism Leninism to the conditions of different countries is that we don't seem to take into consideration the peculiar national circumstances of different countries like China. I think the Communist Party of China was only a call for the transformation of Chinese society along socialist lines. But by itself, most of the members, including Mao Zedong, Deng Xiaoping, they were all primarily nationalists. And their vision was to build a socialist society after going through a united front. The position of Lo Xiaoqing is purely communistic. And that country was not prepared for a socialist revolution because the revolution was primarily based on peasants. So I think the contributions of people like Mao Zedong must be seen in that perspective, because the backbone of the revolution were peasants, not proletarians. So I think the problems of Liu Xiaoxing, he was much more advanced than the principles and tactics of the United Front at that time. So in that case, they purged him. They kicked him out because he was too advanced for the national platform of that time. So I think it was a central decision by the Communist Party of China at that time, and we have to respect that.
0: Yeah, comrade, that's a very, very good point. Thank you. The period that they came in and the reason why it happened was, first of all, they were nationalists. And the person who taught me that was Ho Chi Minh. I was very active against the war in Vietnam at the time, and I began, not just me, the whole communist movement saw that Ho Chi Minh, who had studied in France with the Communist Party there, he had used the party and Marxism-Leninism in order to get national liberation for Indochina, specifically Vietnam. So I just want to mention that the comrade is right on the mark. Thank you.
12: I just wanted to basically verify what I believe I'm understanding, is that when we're talking about the ultimate goal of a dictatorship of the proletariat. We're talking about the proletariat being a well-versed and well-practicing communist, meaning Marxist-Leninist. Is that right?
6: That's correct,
5: yes. When Lu Shaoqi is talking, when he says the word communist, he's specifically implying Marxist-Leninist. And if you read the whole book, it comes through very cleanly that that is the interpretation that Lusha Shaoqi is having. Does that answer your question?
12: Yeah, perfect. Thank you.
2: So I was wondering, in the context of this text, is revolutionary activity strictly constrained to party activity, or does it also include more unorganized, less guided by theory attempts at revolutionary activity?
0: A good question. I'd like to give a stab at it. When non-party people talk about revolutionary activity and involvement, they're talking strictly on an individual basis. When a party does it, they're talking about the collective. They're never talking about individualism. Never. That's all. Thank you.
2: All right, thank you, comrade. That answers my question.
5: When comrade was reading and Lu Chi was mentioning the counter revolutionaries, I don't know if anyone else is reading along, but comrade Fisher included reformists. And that's not what comrade Lu Chi had written. And she included reformists because those are the primary opposition that we today in our country have to face, the reformists far outnumber the counter-revolutionaries, both for material reasons and historical reasons, essentially. I don't know if it's one and the same. When Lu Xiu-Chi mentioned that and comrades added that component to it, I thought it was very important because it very much brings into focus our contemporary struggle in combating reformism. And I think this book, How to Be a Good Communist, is very much in line with understanding, being able to develop that marxist leninist perspectives, and subsequently being able to identify reformist tendencies, and then when those reformist tendencies are identified, how to effectively combat those reformist tendencies. So I thought that was a very important contribution to what was made during the reading.
1: Okay, thank you. We will be skipping to, in my book, it is page 6. It is where it says, Our Communists Self-Cultivate in the kind essential to proletarian revolutionaries? Our communist self-cultivation is a kind essential to proletarian revolutionaries. It must not be divorced from revolutionary practice or from the actual revolutionary movements of the laboring masses, and especially of the proletarian masses. Comrade Mao Zedong has said, Discover the truth through practice, and again through practice, verify and develop the truth. Start from perceptual knowledge and actively develop it into rational knowledge. Then start from rational knowledge and actively guide revolutionary practice to change both the subjective and objective world. Practice, knowledge, again practice, and again knowledge. This form repeats itself in endless cycles and with each cycle the content of practice and knowledge rises to a higher level, such is the whole of the dialectical materialist theory of knowledge and such is the dialectical materialist theory of the unity of knowing and doing. Our party members should temper themselves and intensify their self-cultivation not only in the hardships, difficulties, and reverses of revolutionary practice, but also in the course of smooth, successful, and victorious revolutionary practice. Some members of our party cannot withstand the plaudits and successes in victory. They let victories turn their heads, become brazen, arrogant, and bureaucratic, and may even vacillate degenerate, and become corrupted, completely losing their original revolutionary quality. What Liu Zhaoqi says here is very similar to something that Comrade Stalin talks about extensively in his work, Dizzy with Success, which I highly recommend everybody reads. Individual instances of this kind are not uncommon among our party members the existence of such a phenomenon in the party calls for our comrades' sharp attention in past ages before proletarian revolutionaries appeared on the scene practically all revolutionaries became corrupted and degenerated with the achievement of victory they lost their original revolutionary spirit and became obstacles to the further development of the revolution. In the past 100 years of China's history, or to speak of more recent times, in the past 50 years, we have seen that many bourgeois and petty bourgeois revolutionaries became corrupted and degenerated after gaining some success and climbing to power. This here is speaking about, as I mentioned earlier, the warlords, talking about the Kuomintang government after Sun Yat-sen, this was determined by the class basis of revolutionaries in the past and by the nature of earlier revolutions. Before the Great October Socialist Revolution in Russia, all revolutions throughout history invariably ended in the suppression of the rule of one exploiting class by that of another. Thus, once they themselves became the ruling class, these revolutionaries lost the revolutionary quality and turned around to oppress the exploited masses. This was an inexorable law. This is talking about, obviously, the bourgeois revolutions of the past, how in a bourgeois revolution, the proletariat can never truly gain freedom. While there may be some progressive gains made in a bourgeois revolution, for example, the French Revolution, we saw the overthrow of the absolute monarchy. What we got in return was not a proletarian government. Though there have been some people who have made comparisons to French revolutionaries and socialism, we know that it's not the same thing. Such can never be the case with the proletarian revolution and with the communist party. The proletarian revolution is a revolution to abolish all exploitation, oppression and classes. The communist party represents the proletariat, which is itself exploited, but does not exploit others. And it can therefore carry the revolution through to the end. Finally abolish all exploitation and sweep away all corruption and rottenness in human society. Interestingly here, we see quite often the bourgeois will say that the communists oppressed the bourgeoisie after the revolution. But Liu Xiaoxi is saying very clearly here that that's not the case. The point of the communist revolution is not to oppress the bourgeoisie, It is for the ultimate goal of ending the exploitation of one class over another. The proletariat is able to build a strictly organized and disciplined party and set up a centralized and at the same time democratic state apparatus. And through the party and the state apparatus is able to lead the masses of the people in waging unrelenting struggle against all corruption and rottenness and in ceasingly weeding out of the party and the state organs all those elements that have become corrupt and degenerate, whatever high office they may hold, thereby preserving the purity of the party and the state apparatus. I think it's very interesting here that he mentions whatever high office they may hold, implying that even the general secretary, even the leader of the party, is not free from criticism, is not free from the potential of a purge should they be found to be in violation of the party laws if they are found to be violating the rights of the people to be undemocratic. This outstanding feature of the proletarian revolution and of the proletarian revolutionary party did not and could not exist in earlier revolutions and revolutionary parties. Members of our party must be clear on this point, and particularly when the revolution is successful and victorious, and when they themselves enjoy the ever greater confidence and support of the masses, they must sharpen their vigilance, intensify their self-cultivation and proletarian ideology, and always preserve their pure proletarian revolutionary character so that they will not fall into the rut of earlier revolutionaries who degenerated in the hour of success. Tempering in self-cultivation in revolutionary practice and tempering in self-cultivation in proletarian ideology are important for every communist, especially after the seizure of political power. The communist party did not drop from heaven but was born out of Chinese society. Every member of the Communist Party has come from this society, is living in it today, and is constantly exposed to all its evils. Though the comrade mentions Chinese society, obviously this applies to any society. The party doesn't fall from the sky, it comes from the people. It is not surprising, then, that Communists, whether they are proletarian or non-proletarian in origin, and whether they are old or new members of the party, should carry with them to a greater or lesser extent the thinking and habits of the old society in order to preserve our purity as vanguard fighters of the proletariat and to enhance our revolutionary quality and working ability. It is essential for every communist to work hard to temper and cultivate himself in every respect.
13: What I was wondering was, in this work and the other one that Commerce mentioned, Dizzy with Success, there's a lot of talk about how revolutionaries degenerate and become bureaucratic corrupted. Are there any extensive writings on how to prevent that or have a safeguard against that? Because I feel like a lot of the works we see are about how to deal with it after the fact.
6: There was a work by Stalin mentioned earlier, his Mastering Bolshevism, and he deals extensively with the causes and the reasons why the comrades in the party had become complacent and politically careless, and he gave varying levels of recommendations to prevent that from happening again. It's a very good read, and I recommend everyone read it. Thank you. In addition,
5: comrade, at some point in the early part of 2021, we'll be teaching a class on that exact book, so I advise trying to attend during that to get a fuller response to your question.
10: I wholeheartedly agree with the point on individualism in the West. It really explains why anarchism is more popular in the West than Marxism-Leninism. And also the part in the text about not isolating yourself and not being too ahead of the masses in general. And I think you really see this with petty bourgeois radicals who position themselves far ahead of the masses and people who mistake personal vendettas for praxis. Like you said, the goal is to end Class society, class exploitation, suppressing the bourgeoisie is not the end goal. And these people generally take condescending anti-worker attitudes and stances that only further isolate them from the masses. And I agree with comrade Gus Hall when he said that capitalist baggage is very much a real thing, just like the remnants of feudal society and current capitalist society, there will be capitalist remnants in social society. That's all. Thank you.
4: This is a fantastic
3: reading. Uh, I've enjoyed the way we start by focusing on the basics of dialectics and then build up to this point that we're ending with tonight. And I think it's really important for us to remember this. As weird as it may be, we are actually the easiest part of being revolutionary because our job is always difficult in that we have to lead the working class, whether we're in the pre-revolutionary days like we're in now can't take it upon ourselves to dominate and decide things. Once we're there, we have to stay vigilant, continue to work and practice and lead by listening to the masses. So I thought this was a really good way of summing up what the work that we're doing today and the work that one day we will build up to. So thank you, everyone.
12: There was a the part when we were talking about how the bourgeois revolutions of the past they use the proletariat and maybe the proletariat gets some gains, but they are inevitably still being exploited by the bourgeoisie. But when we want to implement and we try to implement the dictatorship of the proletariat, even though the point isn't just to oppress the bourgeoisie, but isn't that not the byproduct? Isn't that part of it is having to oppress the bourgeoisie until this class is eliminated, until we can eliminate class society altogether
1: so unfortunately that does end up being the case sometimes and as Karl Marx said we will not apologize for the terror While that's not the point of the revolution it does inevitably end up happening but we're not going out looking to hurt people that's what the comrade is trying to get at that's what I was trying to get at as well does that answer your question comrade
12: Absolutely,
0: yes. yes yes. When the comrade says that
6: revolutionaries get corrupted and degenerated with success through a political seizure of power, I would say that this is because the revolution and the evolution is never ending, and therefore there will always be contradictions to address. And so we always have to adapt to even once we seize power, there's still going to be more contradictions and more things to address. The battle is never-ending, and the road to communism is always being pushed forward and never-ending. Thank you.
3: In the beginning of the text that believe
1: be View mentions that mankind is, from my perception, forever in a struggle against nature. And I perceive that as, in the context of the development of human society, one must necessarily subdue another. And I find that from my own perception, and I'm asking this purely from my own understanding of Marxism, in this context, I find it's a contradiction of terms in that humanity is necessarily a part of nature, and that there's no
7: such thing as necessarily one and do the other, because in essence, they are one and the same. So I wanted to ask if that perception is true, if my perceived implications from the text are true, or
8: if I'm just not necessarily understanding correctly.
4: From my understanding, the way that Marx puts it, and the way we see it as Marxist, is that The reason we put humanity in a different category from nature is because we have the ability to act upon nature and to change it to our needs rather than nature and us being in a symbiosis. So if we cut down the trees to make our houses and such, we do work upon nature, whereas nature is free-flowing. Does that make sense?
6: To a degree, I find it makes sense. However, I also find that in our altering of nature, we are subsequently altering ourselves.
5: That sounds dialectical to an extent, in the sense that if we're acting on something in terms of a material being acting on another material being, it's not a one-way street. That interaction, that interaction is always a two-way street. That's sort of the base understanding of how I think dialectics would apply.
3: That's correct, Comrade.
0: Remember one thing that Marx said. He said we look at the world as it is, not as we want it to be. That's very important. And the world as it is is all interrelated. I think the younger generation use the word maybe I'm wrong, but interdependence or something. Does anybody know what I'm talking about?
3: That's the interdependence. I guess it depends on where you are online.
13: But interdependent, interrelated.
0: Right, and this has always been the case, so it's nothing new. We used to say in the sixties, if you look behind the board you'll see all the wires are interrelated. Thank you.
3: I was trying to get my head around how in my daily practice, just going about day-to-day, I can work to combat liberal thinking in terms of individualism. I find that that seems to be an overarching theme in both my thinking and those around me, and I want to see how are ways that I can work to subdue that type of thinking
7: within myself. Thank you.
1: So, I'll just go back to the text quick. Something that Comrade Mao said, he said, practice, knowledge Again, practice, and again, knowledge. So what the comrade is saying there, read theory. Try and practice what you read in that theory in your daily life. So read about ideology. I would suggest reading further on in this book. There's an entire chapter that talks explicitly about practice and talks even more in depth about this. I would suggest reading that. We'll explain this even more in depth and help you to be able to apply this in your daily life. So reading theory and doing what you can to apply it in little ways throughout your daily life. One thing to do is definitely practice self-criticism. So try and catch yourself. If you realize that you're thinking in a way that is liberal, is bourgeois thinking, try and catch yourself. Reflect on that. If you understand that it is bourgeois, but you don't quite understand why, try and find where in theory you can find that. And always feel free to ask your comrades who might know the answer as well. We're all here to help, comrade.
3: Definitely. Thank you very much. That very much was what I was looking to hear. I think tying it into community work and being a part of the community kind of helped click with my mind because I could picture at work sticking up for people and doing what needs to be done and overall being good and helpful. I can see that more clearly. Thank you.
12: The different ways that, especially when you spoke about your old work, how I can apply Marxism and be of representatives as communists when I deal with tenants who are facing eviction and homelessness every other day. And thank you for this lesson.
9: On the subject of egoism, individualism only by combating the individualism and egoism in each of us can we hope to make a difference these are difficult times i know but don't give in to despair never abandon hope never not even for a second even when all seems lost when the evils that plague the earth and humanity seem insurmountable you must find strength and you must inspire strength within your comrades that's that
6: in relation to
8: what we were talking about in regards to individualism. Also piggybacks off of what a few of our comrades have said as well. If you want to stay away from individualism and you want to be an active communist, not only do you have to be in part of the party, you have to be actively involved.
7: On the subject of corruption within the communist party and the communist movement at large, What advice would you have for me and for other comrades to engage with those who are really skeptical about a state or a centralized state for that matter? Thank you.
5: The best source to go on that is Lenin. I know it's sort of a hackneyed answer, but state and revolution, if the question you ask, every single aspect of that is answered within the confines of just simply reading state and revolution. I don't know if there's a better answer if someone has.
1: State and revolution is definitely a good place to start. I think the type of people that the comrade is talking about may not necessarily react as well to a state and revolution as somebody who's already a communist or, or even a leftist would. So in terms of trying to get people to understand that a socialist state, a centralized state, is not the enemy, what I would recommend is having them read *On Authoritarianism* by Engels so that you can try and explain to them that we are currently living under the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie and that the dictatorship of the proletariat is not a dictatorship in the way that the word has been misconstrued to mean a dictatorship. The dictatorship of the proletariat is simply a socialist state in which The power is in the hands of the proletariat.
7: I actually wanted to clarify my question further. It's really aimed towards those who are skeptical of the state because they're worried about corruption happening within a party or within the state led by a dictatorship, the proletariat. And I wanted to know if there was any specific ways to talk about that and how that can be avoided using our current movements and of past socialist states. I
3: personally had a lot of discussions with people in this regard, and I found that something that helps wedge the door in, where reading theory can be difficult to get folks involved, talking about how if they're concerned about a new system and the corruption in a new system, what is the corruption in our current system? Whom does it benefit whom does it serve, and how is it fundamentally rooted into that system? And while there may be the chance of corruption in this new system we're creating, that that is going to be fundamentally more democratic, more oriented towards the people, whereas our current state structure is directly serving bourgeois interests. At least for me, I find that that seems to be a way to help people understand.
7: That's a pretty good answer. I'm going to give that type of thought a try with some others that I engage with. Thank
8: you. There are a bit of a few sources I like to mention. One of them is that continuation of Gus Hall's baggage of liberalism. I'd like to mention from Lenin's State and Revolution that basically we carry baggage, but the bourgeoisie will actively try to dull our revolutionary spirit, as previously mentioned. Previous icons of the revolutionary movement have been doled by the bourgeoisie, the liberals. Specifically, this is coming from state and revolution. I'd also like to mention on Mao Zedong's Combat Liberalism, where we must not only focus on combating liberal thought and individualism, but we must also combat it within ourselves to avoid, so to speak, fighting fire with fire by using liberal rhetoric in response to the liberal rhetoric aimed at us. I'd like to also mention one thing about intellectuals in the revolutionary movement. From Antonio Gramsci, the intellectual in the revolutionary movement is not to simply analyze outside of the system, it's to use that to help the masses work outside of the system alongside it by guiding them.
9: One of the comrades mentioned never-ending, and I agree that that is the vigilance that we need to understand. It also is the antidote to corruption, so we cannot really say or should use the word success regardless of where we are at. We have to consider our never-ending battle and the vigilance. I think that is necessary. She talked about, well, yeah, but while we are overthrowing the bourgeois, we're actually oppressing the bourgeoisie. And I would think one of the counter arguments on that is that the bourgeoisie have already exploited workers. So I am not too concerned about what we term oppression, maybe that we are just eliminating the workers that have allowed the bourgeoisie to be successful that was the other thing and then another one talked about the perception of nature and I think as some people answered we still have to respect nature like we have to respect any of our material and then that would be to our undoing if we didn't, that's all
0: and the comrade is speaking, you when Lenin speaks, they're not talking, they never talk about an individual who considers themselves a communist, but they're outside of the collective. They're outside of the party. Well, in fact, Lenin strands to say that they're not considered communist. Communist is a person who's in a Bolshevik party with discipline and democratic centralism. If you do it as an individual, you're not considered a communist, according to Lenin and all party members at the time. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you.
13: Well, he was talking at the end there about how members come from the old society and are exposed to the evils of the old society. But then it felt like he was saying one should keep their thinking and keep their feeling in the manner of the old society. And I was a little unclear on that.
5: Are you talking about this quote? It is not surprising then that communists, whether they are of proletarian or non-proletarian origin, and whether they are old or new members of the party, should carry with them, to a greater or lesser extent, the thinking and habits of the old society. Is that what you're asking about?
13: Yeah, at first I thought it was an observation, but the way he phrased it, it almost sounded like a suggestion, and I was a little
12: confused.
5: If someone disagrees with me, please speak up. But when Kamar Lucha Chi says this, from what I read and interpret, it's that when you... Enter into the new society as a communist, it's not like a clean slate, if that makes any sense. I know Marx at one point said that each society has the birthmarks of the old society on it. And so as a communist, as someone who was once in a capitalist society and now will be in a social society, we can't just erase the things that we've sort of been brought up with. I know Angelo talked about the baggage that we have from living under a bourgeois society. And there's no way you can get rid of that. The only way you can combat it is to acknowledge it, is to do self-criticism, to analyze within, see that whatever, I have this tendency, I have that tendency, this tendency was shaped by the old society, this tendency has the potential to be shaped by the new society. And then as a communist, as someone who can realize these things when they occur, addressing them in a material way, as opposed to just letting those thoughts fester. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, that clears it up
13: perfectly. Thank you.
0: We're all wannabes. W-A-N-N-A. Wannabes. We want to be communists. But that doesn't mean we are. There are people in the communist party for 20, 30 years. They still want to be communists. They're good party members, but that doesn't mean they fulfill the end result of a communist. We all want to be communists. Gus Hall, in the 1970s, when I got involved with the CPUSA, when it was a communist party at the time, Gus said, who was the general secretary, who went to prison for his beliefs for seven years by the government in the 1950s, what he said is this. We are carrying baggage, as Comrade just mentioned. Whether we want to or not, we're carrying this. We go into the Communist Party. We still have that baggage with us. That's why we have such a thing as criticism and self-criticism. We have to analyze a lot of what we do, not only in the party but outside the party, and try to analyze why we do it. It's very important that we do that, and that's why we push criticism and self-criticism. Thank you. I finished.
5: I used to be a Jehovah's Witness. We had this thing where you wanted to look out so you didn't have a dual personality. So what that meant was you didn't want to be a Jehovah's Witness in the church and then
3: go home, and you're a completely different person. And I'm now starting to see, from what I'm learning from the meeting tonight is that As a communist, as an aspiring communist, it's kind of something similar. We don't want to go home after going to these meetings and unlearn everything that we know about communism. We have to be a communist at all points in the day so that we're not deceiving ourselves,
0: if that makes sense. 100% correct. That's all I could say.
11: I think coming from a unique experience in the Horn of Africa, just primarily... For the most part, a national liberation movement, left-oriented, anti-imperialist. I think the fundamental problem of North America is that with a high literacy rate, with all the educational facilities available for progressive forces in North America, I think the fact that the communists and socialists in this country are so weak and disorganized, I think they have to be blamed for that because they have the facilities they have intellectual tools to understand the categorically this is the difference between socialism and capitalism and they have lived in a corporate capitalism that declared war in Southeast Asia throughout Africa assassinated elected Mm -hmm. governments in South America and Latin America and Africa and we cannot really apologize for that I think a very weak point for Any progressive person in North America, including Democrats, have to say that they don't know that. I really cannot buy that, and I will never accept that in the rest of my life.
2: One of the biggest problems that I run into with my own learning is that I have internalized a lot of Western and capitalist propaganda, which means that self-criticism and self-analysis is constantly important because every time I think I have it right, I don't. And then looking in terms of organizing... Every time that I've tried organizing with people who don't ascribe to Marxist-Leninist revolutionary theory, it ends up self-imploding within a couple of months, because people end up getting self-aggrandizing, people will end up getting their ego involved, and people will become incapable of self-criticism. So all in all, I found that it just made really, really good points all throughout.
5: What you just said makes me think of one thing that I heard Comrade Angelo say at one point, and that's that he's been in the communist movement for decades, much longer than many of us have ever been alive. And even he only has a certain percentage knowledge of what it means to be a communist, whether that's 70 or 80%. So just acknowledging all of us that, especially the younger comrades, myself included, that really we are in the infancy stages in terms of our lives in being able to lead a communist life. And it's not something that you can do overnight and flip the switch. It's not something that you wake up one day and you're a communist because... The day before, you were not a communist. It's very much a process of self-improvement and individual analysis by seeing yourself within the
6: collective.
13: There's common themes in these texts all the time. And it's basically that we need to be weeding out reformist and bourgeois ideology all the time. And we always need to be working to improve ourselves. That's what I just find in commonalities in all the texts.
1: Something that I'm hearing a lot of in this conversation is the notion of self-criticism and how it relates to ideology. I think a very important part of that is actually looking at where you are physically, materially. That is within the buildings, within the way that capitalist society has organized itself in a very material way. A very early essay that goes into this was by a non-Marxist named George Simmel, and it's called The Metropolis and Mental Life. It was written in 1903. I highly recommend people reading this. I mean, you may not agree with every point, but the fact is that our very building structures also reflect the ideology, and it's not
6: something simply internal. And that's all I'd like to say. I just wanted to hammer in the idea that when the comrade talks about the corruption and degeneration of uh, revolutionaries, and sometimes even with successes, that the revolution is never ending. We always self-criticize. As we address these contradictions, new ones will arise, and we always have to rise to meet that. And so as we work with the conditions, the conditions work with us, and we have to evolve and therefore make the evolution happen. That's all I really want to say. Thank you. When I first started learning about Marxism and this emphasis on criticism and self-criticism was a huge draw for me, because that's something I tried to do before I discovered Marxism, and it was very refreshing for me, coming from a pretty long party politics where I felt like criticism was almost looked down on. It was more a game of deflecting and blaming the other party constantly and not acknowledging failure. So I just wanted to say that I really appreciate this reading and the idea and the emphasis, and it was a big draw for me. Thank you.
7: This class really spoke to how we'll have to hold ourselves to higher standards because eventually when we win, we'll be tasked with representing our people.
9: I absolutely love the idea of widening our education practicing the theory you haven't researched is really hard and having a group to discuss it and bounce ideas back off of is really, really helpful, especially for me. I'm a really fast reader, so I really appreciate that. Thank you. And the small things that we can organize together...
3: There are three struggles in our movement. The first one is the theoretical struggle. It's based on the philosophy of dialectical materialism. The second struggle is the economic struggle, which is based on the study of capitalism. And then the third struggle is the political struggles, based on the study of socialism. So those are, in a way, the three component parts of Marxism, which is kind of a guideline on what we should be looking at as we're learning things. Philosophy, study of capitalism, and the study of socialism. That's all I had. This is
1: actually... One of the books that really helped convince me to move away from anarchism back when I used to be an anarchist and understand the necessity for becoming a Marxist-Leninist. Thank you.
0: The year 2020. Everybody has knocked the year 2020 for good reason. But let me give you the good side. Not only did we grow, which is important, but not everything, the quality of comrades that have come into the party over the last five or eight months, has been very different than the earlier membership. The earlier membership was basically people who were looking for something in their life. They found it here. Some of them didn't. They left. Most of them found it here and they stayed. And that's why we're here. There are literally, in this country, hundreds of thousands of people who agree with us. You may not know that. Our job is to try to reach them. Every day, I get somebody sending me an email. I come to your party because a friend of mine is in your party. Now, that's amazing. If you were to have a corporation and you needed people to push the corporation, what you do is get somebody who is using that product and likes the product, and then they come and they tell the whole world about how they like the product. And that's what's going on in our party now. Large numbers are coming to us because somebody else that they have faith in or are friends with have found out about our party. Those few people who left, usually they leave because they tell us they're too busy in their life. Only one or two said they left for ideological reasons. So that's amazing. I've been in this movement actively since I was 16, and I never heard anything like that. Most people leave. Because they're too busy in their life and they don't want to spend any time building the party. I urge everybody to get the William Z. Forster part called Party Building. The difference between this party, and this is not a biased opinion, this is a factual opinion of someone who's been around, is that we care about the membership. And if we don't agree with somebody, we don't rip them down. We don't expel them. We don't say they're capitalist rotors. We don't call them Khrushchevites. We don't call them Stalinists. We don't call them whatever. That's the difference. The mentality at this school is that we have to respect each other's views because the person who disagrees with us today through education and through understanding can easily see the light in a few months or a year from now. That has happened to many people. One comrade, I'm not going to mention the name, came to us as an anarcho-communist. If they're on the phone tonight, they know who I'm talking about. And asked me on the phone, does that mean I can't join the party? I told them, we're not that, but you're perfectly free to join us and see if you can learn anything from us. Well, today the person is in a leadership role and is definitely a Marxist-Leninist. So all of us change, all of us. There are many leaders of the party in history, who went from good to bad. That's how we explain Trotsky. That's how we explain a lot of leadership. The first general secretary of the Communist Party in 1928 actually became a Trotskyite, and within a year and a half, it was working for the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA. J. Lovestone, J-A-Y. So we're constantly changing, comrades. But if we respect each other, I think we'll be better off to get people to see that our analysis, the analysis of Lenin, the analysis of Marx, is correct, because history has shown it to be correct. And with that, I want to say everybody, have a nice new year, safe one, and to roll up our sleeves, because we have a long struggle ahead. Just because we defeated Trump, doesn't mean anything is solved. we still got to deal with the capitalist class initially, and that's what Biden is. So, I want to thank everyone. And say good
2: Thank you for watching this full length class from the People's School for Marxist Leninist Studies. For more information, or if you're interested in attending classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube channel, or email info at psmls.org.